Today we'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, amen, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord have blessing on the reading of his word. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to take it and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we will walk through some of the texts that you have heard this morning. Come on this Easter Sunday morning to celebrate a man who came to earth and said that he would be killed. And he was. He said he would rise from the dead. And he did. That should be enough for us to perk up and pay attention. In our day, it's unheard of that there would be a group of people that would gather and actually believe that someone died, stayed in the grave for three days, and rose again, and is alive today. And yet, here we are. I hope that our celebration of Easter is not about bunnies and eggs and candy and and days off. All that's great stuff. But I hope that you and I are not fooled by the radical nature of what we declare together in the name of Jesus. That there was once a man who died, and now he lives. And I want to spend my time talking with you this morning about the implications of that. In light of the popularity of books and stories of people who have near-death experiences or go to heaven and come back, I, I think it appropriate for me to remind you this morning that with all of that interest, of, uh, of all of the books and television and movies that are made about that, in all of history, there is only one man who has died, was dead three days, and rose again just like he said he was going to do. You can find everything that you want to find about the other side of this life through his teaching. Everything you need to know about death and what comes when you die. And it all really does boil down to that, doesn't it, church? Jesus died and he rose again 
And he says, I want to give you that life. I want you to have that resurrection. What this morning are the implications of one who died, conquered death, came back to life, conquered hell, the price for your sin and mine, conquered the grave, and then says, I want to give you hope that you can live. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you too can have eternal life. This morning, I want to give you briefly, I think the Bible is going to give us many implications of the resurrection. I want to mention two of them and then come to our text for the third one. I think, again, this is not exhaustive, but I just don't think I can avoid the first two. Number one, the implication that Jesus came back from the dead, it is this, it is possible. It is possible to overcome the curse of sin. For those of you who have been with us for some time, we've studied through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And the question from Genesis 3 until our day is, can anyone overcome death? The Bible says it's the curse of sin. And it's not only physical death, it really is an eternal death. It is something that no one in this room, apart from Jesus coming back, no one in this room will escape physical death. That is part of the curse of sin. It doesn't take us long looking around to see that the effects of sin are in this world. I think this morning of Lazarus who came back from the dead. You ever considered Lazarus died again? He's not with us today. There has only been one that has come back from the dead and is alive today. And it is Jesus. But Jesus overcoming death gives you and I hope that the question from Genesis 3 until today has been, can we overcome death? Is it possible for us to have something beyond the grave? Is it possible for us not to die forever? And Jesus proved the curse of sin, which is death, can be overcome. It is reversed in Him. Secondly, it also means that Jesus has all authority and has given his followers a reason to live. Matthew chapter 28, to complete the story, when Jesus was no longer in the tomb, he had told the ladies there in verse 7, go and tell my disciples to meet me, and they meet him in Galilee. And Jesus came to them and said this, the one who died and is now no longer dead, says this to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth. Doesn't leave anything out. All authority anywhere out there, all authority on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It means that Jesus has all authority. The one who came back from the dead, if he 
if he could overcome what no one yet has overcome, he has authority in my life, in your life, over creation. And you can read that in the Gospels. He was coming to show us, I am the Son of God, I am God, and I am going to give you life. That's what Jesus proclaimed. And He has authority to do it. And the reason you and I can trust Him is because He overcame the grave. He's given us a reason to live. Church, the reason that you take breath, the reason that you are a husband or a wife or a friend or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, the reason that you're in your vocation The reason that you live and the location that you live is so that you can accomplish the mission of the one who gave you life. He has the authority to do so. There are many other implications, but I wanted to start there. Now go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. The third implication of Jesus dying and coming back to life. I think it's found here in our text this morning. Paul is writing a letter because there seems to be some question about those believers who die before the return of Christ. You understand Thessalonians was written very early in the life of the New Testament church. It is not a later book in the New Testament. It's really early, real close to the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus came back to life and He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and when it is finished, I will come to you and I'll receive you to Myself. There was a sense in the church, an anticipation at any moment that Jesus was coming back. He may come today. And so there was a sense of, well, what if somebody has died and there were people that they knew that had died in this life, before Jesus came back. And so there must be some question. We're waiting the return of Jesus. And Paul, note well in this text, says, we who are alive and remain. He has the anticipation, even now, those of us who are still living, when Christ comes back, we will rise, but we will not precede those who have died. And so there's question, what what happens to them? We know that when Jesus said He was coming back, He would take those who are alive and He would rule and reign with them. He would restore all things. But what about those who have died? What about them? Very recently in world history, 21 Christian men who are providing for their families and their culture, the economy was crashing and so they had to go across the border to another nation to get work. So they crossed over, found work, coming back, providing, sending money back to their families to provide for them. They found themselves in a hostile environment in this new nation. Through the months of December of 2014 and January of 2015, they were captured one by one by a Muslim extremist group. February the 15th, a video was released of these 21 men who called themselves followers of Christ, marching down a beach in Tripoli, and they were beheaded because of their faith in Jesus Christ.
on Thursday this week, Garissa University in Kenya, Somali militants busted into a Christian gathering, began on a shooting spree that ended up killing 147. Eyewitnesses state that the attackers were searching for Christians and they would find Muslims and let them go free. They found someone who called the name of Christ, they would kill them. 147 dead. Paul is teaching us about those who have died in Christ. What's going to happen to them? Yesterday I sat at a funeral of a precious saint of God. What's going to happen? We sit at a funeral of a believer. What's going to happen to those, Paul, who have died? Here we are on Easter Sunday celebrating Jesus and yet we watch the news and we see news about those who die and you sit at funerals of family. Some of you know even now that there are things in your body that could lead to your death. Some of you have, uh, you're sitting under the burden of a diagnosis that you might think before long it is going to take my life. Church, listen to me. If The Lord tarries. Every one of us in this room will go the way of death on this earth. And the question is, does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have any implication for us, whether we are alive or whether we die on this earth? The third implication that I think comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is simply this, we shall rise. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. So there's no need for you to grieve like those who have no hope. Look at verse 14. If you mark in your Bible, I want to challenge you to read verse 14, maybe even underline it. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul is writing to believers, so let me not assume in this room that every one of us is a believer. Listen very carefully to me. Everyone will rise. Some will rise to judgment, eternal death. Some will rise to grace and eternal life. And the difference is what you do with Jesus. Here, Paul is writing to believers and he says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's not too much. The implication of Jesus dying and rising again is that everything He ever said is true. And when He said He would come back, He's going to come back. And if Jesus died and rose from the dead, then He will come and He will get those who have died in this life and they will rise. And those of us who are alive and remain will rise too. In teaching the church at Thessalonica about this hope, Jesus teaches us a bit about His return. And so, I want to teach us just a few minutes about Jesus' return and what it means to us that we will rise. 
First, I think you see in verse 15 and 16 that Jesus will return with great fanfare. You know that as we celebrate Christmas, we, we celebrate the humble nature of Jesus' birth. We celebrate that He was laid in a feeding trough as a newborn baby. We celebrate that there was no room for Him. And the implication of that is that Jesus came for the most humble of us. Jesus came to reach those of us who were outcast and had no room for anyone else. The other implication is that let it not be that you and I have no room for Jesus, but He came and He was born a humble birth and He was laid in a feeding trough and His birth was announced to shepherds. Jesus' second coming is not going to be so humble. Here Paul tells us in verse 16, he'll descend from heaven. There'll be a cry of command announcing the king of kings. The book of Revelation says he'll come on a stallion with an army to make things right. There'll be the voice of an archangel announcing his coming and there will be the sound of trumpet. If you've been here with us, In the book of Numbers, you know that the trumpet sounding is sounding so that the people of God move into the promised land. That trumpet will signal the kingdom is here. The kingdom of our great God is here. He will come with great fanfare. The one who has all authority has accomplished his mission of salvation and he will return to restore all things and set up his kingdom. He will return to judge the living and the dead. He will return to judge you and to judge me and to judge this creation and to set all things right. He will return as a judge and a king to sit on a throne. Jesus will return with great fanfare. Secondly, I think it shows us that all believers will rise to meet him. I said that Paul was making a, 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 a point to teach the church at Thessalonica that those who have died, they're going to rise first. And so in verse 17, he ends at the end of verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then in verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The picture for us that Paul is drawing is that when Jesus breaks the eastern sky... And he returns as a king on a throne to set all things right that those who have died in Christ will rise first. And then we will join them and our Savior as he is coming, as he is descending to rule and reign on the earth forever and ever. So we will come with Christ Those who are dead will rise with a resurrected body. Those of us who are alive will arise and receive our resurrected bodies. And the Bible says we will be our body. That body will be like Christ. And we will then be with Him as He reigns in His restored creation. All believers will rise and meet Him. Now make no mistake about it. I must say this morning. It all comes down to the resurrection. Started there, I'll end there. Did Jesus die and overcome the grave? 
Everyone in this room will meet Jesus. Every one of you. Those of you who die before he comes, or those of us who die before he comes, will meet him as he's coming to finalize his kingdom in his creation. Those of you who don't know Jesus or you've never bowed the knee to him, you've never said, I turn from my sin and myself and I accept the free gift that God has given me in salvation. You will meet him and you will know him as judge. And you know, the Bible really teaches that what he's going to do is give you what you've always wanted. The results of doing things your way. The results of running your own life. The results of living in the way that you think you ought to live instead of the way that the Creator has made you to live. He created you to bring glory and honor to Him. He made you for Himself. But if you reject that and say, No, I am made for me. I am living for me. He's going to give you the ultimate end of that, which is destruction. And that will be for eternity. It's the judgment God calls hell. It's a place he made for Satan who rejected God. It's eternal punishment. Punishment for the creation not wanting, honoring, living for the Creator. All believers will rise to meet Him. Third thing it teaches us there is the end of verse 17. Those of us who know Him, here's heaven. We will be with Him forever. Forever. Church, listen to me this morning. We sing, we celebrate, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus because He has said, I will give you eternal life. I will make you into what I intended for you to be, the creation that glorifies me. And listen to me, if it, if it turns your stomach to think, I have to glorify Christ, let me say to you, the Bible teaches us that you will never be satisfied, content, have any happiness, any true joy until you're living for the purpose that the Creator made you, which is to glorify Him. So if today you're wondering, why am I never satisfied? Why am I never content? Why am I never happy? I would say to you, you might want to see, are you living for the reason, the purpose that He created you to live? And that is to bring Him glory. There's much joy in living for the Savior, in living for the King that will be King forever. We'll be with Him forever. Look at verse 18. Paul says, Encourage one another with these words. How should we do that, church? How should we encourage one another with these words? There are multiple ways. I leave that with you. This is an implication of the resurrection. We shall rise. How do we encourage each other with those words? And I want you to think through that. If I could give you a homework assignment, and I am, think about how can I encourage those around me with these words. Because Jesus rose, I live. Because He rose from the dead, I will rise. Three, 
encouragements to you that I thought about as I came to this verse. Number one, if this is true, look at me. Jesus is alive. Repent. Turn from your way and believe. He's alive today. He's coming soon. Let me encourage you. If you have not come to Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you to come to Him. He will not tarry forever. The days are short until He comes. Don't wait. The Bible says, how do I come to Christ? Repent, which means turn. Turn from your way, your sin, trusting yourself, and believe. Believe what? Believe Jesus died and rose again to pay the price for your sin and to give you eternal life. Repent and believe. I encourage you to do so. I know that there are people sitting in the sound of my voice in this very room that you have not come to Christ yet. I want to encourage you because I believe you're looking at one man, even if the world would say I am foolish and they do, even if the world would say it's impossible and they do, I believe I have a friend who died, was in the grave three days, and he's alive today. And it's everything to me. It is my hope. It is my joy. Let me encourage you, repent and believe. Secondly, those of you who know the Lord, anticipate His coming. You see, we get distracted all the time about this is important or that's important or this pursuit is important or this career or this job or this relationship or, or this material good or... There's everything in the world that will pull you away from the mission that our Savior has given us. And the Bible says, we will rise with Him. Your finances are bad. Hang on. Your health is bad. Hang on. We will rise. You're having a struggle in life. Hold on. We will rise. Anticipate the coming of the Savior. Live each day in that anticipation. His return is as sure as His death and His resurrection. Number three, as a believer, do not fear death. We live in a world that people are afraid of what might happen to them. Pastor, if I speak up at work, what, what, what will they say? I might lose my job. The worst thing that could happen to you is they kill you for saying the name of Jesus. They already killed him and he overcame the grave. Don't fear what man can do to you. What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Risk it all. Don't fear death. Don't fear what... The world can do to your body. Don't fear what sin and the fallen nature of our world is going to do to our bodies. Live each moment for the Creator and for His glory, and you will find joy in the hope that He is coming 
and we will rise. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of 21 men who were marched out, who were made to kneel right before their heads were cut off for calling the name of Christ, and that we can hear them say, Oh, Jesus, oh, God, have mercy. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for what it exemplifies to us. Lord, most of all, I thank you that on the day when you return, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us who remain, we will rise to meet you in the air. What encouragement, Lord. Thinking even in our own church of those who have gone on, those that used to sit in these pews that called the name of Christ, that made a difference in this community and around the world. And Lord, when that day comes, we will meet them as we all meet you and we rise. Because you rose, we shall rise. And we praise you. Now, my friend, as you have heads bowed and eyes closed, sitting in the sanctuary, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever come to this Christ? Have you ever confessed your faith in Him? Can I encourage you today to do so? I want to encourage you, if the Spirit is speaking to you, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, He says, not me, He says, I will not tarry with you forever. So if He's drawing you, today's the day. Would you surrender your life and come to Him? In just a moment, Peggy's going to play and Steve and I are going to stand here. We're all going to stand and I'm going to ask us all to be in a, an attitude of prayer and I'll invite you, would you step out on this Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to repent. I believe. Would you do that today? Church, maybe we need to confess what we've been drawn away by Maybe we're not anticipating His coming. Would you spend some time in prayer saying, God, help me to focus on you and your purpose and anticipate your coming in the days of my life?